And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to an episode of the Crawford Talks. I'm Jake Kaplan, Astros beat writer for The Athletic. Mike Meltzer joining me as always. Um, Mike, it's been a while, two months, I believe. How, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's crazy, but we are literally on the eve of opening day, which I know you are invested in this world every single day, but it's still kind of crazy to me to think that we have gone from October to now and the baseball season is back. Yeah, I don't really love the three days off before opening day. Um, that is kind of weird. It kind of reminds me of last postseason when there was like the random five days off between rounds. But <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah I, I appreciate everyone's patience with us. Obviously, we've gotten a lot of questions about, um, you know, when we were doing our next pod. It's, you know, I, I think it's safe to say it's become a more sporadic podcast than it was last year when we were twice a week. So just uh, keep that in mind going forward, but uh, we are definitely here, uh, excited to be here today to preview the 2021 season after, I would say, an eventful spring training for the Astros as far as spring trainings go. I mean, usually they're pretty boring, um, and there was definitely some boring moments in this one, but there were, a lot happened. A lot did happen, especially who got a contract extension, Lance McCullers, who did not Carlos Correa, at least up until this point. Uh, as far as the roster, by the way, any surprises with what the Astros are going into the season with pending COVID-19 protocols? No. Um, well, I mean, from a big picture standpoint, to start the spring, like, obviously, it's weird to not have Framber Valdez there um, and have Jake, Jake Odorizzi in his place in, in a week or two. But in terms of, you know, the 25-man um you know, barring a decision on Luis Garcia and Brandon Belak in terms of who is going to be the starter and who is going to be the reliever, I hate to brag, but I think I'm going to be 25 for 25 in my last projection. So, yep. um, I full disclosure, I would have had Steve Ciszek, uh on Thursday um, if before they released him, but you know that was clearly a luxury tax related move there. All right, so let's dive into this as far as this season goes, and we can really pick any place to start, but I think we're going to begin here with the big questions, and I get the sense, Jake, that you have some questions about the starting pitching heading into this season. You mentioned Framber Valdez, who obviously the fear for about a week or two was that, oh man, could this guy miss the entire season? Then they go out and they sign Jake Odorizzi. All of a sudden, about a week after that, we find out the second opinion on Framber is a lot better. I don't know exactly when he's slated to return. I don't think there's been any commentary on that, but it does leave the rotation entering this season, considering Odorizzi is going to not be able to make, let's say, the first two turns in the rotation in a question mark state. Yeah, like I think they have 
a good amount of of good starting pitchers. But my question is, where are all of the innings going to come from over 162? Like, I yeah. think, especially when you consider the youth of, of their pitchers, like Jose Urquidy and Christian Javier, um, and the durability questions that have trailed Lance McCullers since 2016, um, Zach Greinke being 37, um, and Oda Rizzi, you know, he's been relatively durable. I, I, he's been pretty durable in his career for like a good 170 innings, 30-something starts, but he only made four starts last year. So all these guys are, are due for huge innings cre- increases. And um, even in a normal year, when you're not coming off a 60-game season, teams use 10, 12 starters. Yep. So who are those guys? And I think really it's going to be a war of attrition and the teams that do the best at covering the innings with depth, like the eighth to 10th starters are going to be the best. Well, especially in a situation where if you look at the math on it, the Astros are likely going to be a high eighties, low nineties win team. And so you figure if you're going to use about 10 to 12 pitchers, then the differential in the American league West, a wild card, who knows could come from those extra pitchers, those extra starters and how well they do, you know, being able to, being able to fill those innings, right? Like that's the kind, it's, it's not like, Hey, it's likely going to be a 98 win team. So what we're talking about here is, is like a luxury extra couple of games. Like, no, every game is going to be critical for this team to try to win back the division. Right. It's not like, remember like July of 2019 when their division lead was, was safe. They were on pace for a million wins and they could uh, kind of not throw away games, but there was like a stretch where they had three starters for like yes. a month. <laughs> it was yeah. like, it was just like biding time for the trade deadline for the, I for mean, like the, the trade for a trade to happen. Even in 2017, there was that month when Mike fires had to essentially carry the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you, you kind of compare it to where it is now. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. There are a lot of questions and especially framed against the loss of Framber Valdez. I don't know about you, but heading into 2021, my thought was Granky inconsistent. You know, McCullers, a question mark. Uh, Javier, he's dealing with the dynamic of coming back off of a promising rookie season, but one, one that was literally two months long. Framber Valdez, and maybe I'm extrapolating too much, Jake, based off of, again, only two months last year, but he felt he felt like the guy that they would be able to rely on as like the two or three starter who he was a workhorse last season. Like they could throw at the very least, he would give them a lot of innings like of all five or now six of these guys. I'd feel most confident about Fromber over the 162. And he is the guy they lost. Yeah, they, you know, the way Dusty used him last year, he was not afraid to throw him out there for the seventh inning. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas other guys he, he would put in the bullpen. So. They definitely talked about that rubber arm aspect of Valdez. And, you know, it does sound like Valdez will be back at some point. It's going to be a while. I don't I don't think it's anytime soon. But, um, you know, I guess you could kind of think of that as part of the depth once he does come back. I I, I just don't know who else it's going to be. I think Luis Garcia is pretty good. I think Brandon Belak um, could be okay if he, if he, you know, figures out his pitch usage and and you know he was really fastball heavy, happy last year and that's what that's what hurt him um 
and his slider did look better in spring training. So maybe that's maybe he'll, maybe there's something there. But even beyond those guys, they need more. Like I just don't know, you know, where the where the innings are to come from. And I and I think that goes for the bullpen too, especially in the wake of their decision to, um, you know, save money and not or not add money and and cut Steve Ciszek. There's there's no depth out of the top eight who made the bullpen. Like, you know, until Austin Pruitt and Josh James comes back. Or Andre Scrub and Pedro Baez come back from from the IL. Like, you know, there's there's I don't think they're that much deeper than they were last year. I agree with that. Do you think there's a world in which Jose Urquidy can play the same role that I was just describing with Framber Valdez? Yeah, but I, I don't know. know if you, if, I, don't I don't know, know if, if you saw this. Uh, Eno Saris had as one of his bold predictions on the Athletic that Urquidy gets Cy Young votes. Yeah, and I, I do buy into, like, the Urquidy breakout potential. Like, he's really, you know, he. I feel like it would have been last year if he didn't have COVID and it kind of derailed his, more than his first half. He didn't debut till September 5th, I yep. want to say. He's really good and he's really consistent. I just don't know if he's going to pitch too deep into games. And that's the same, same with Javier. Like, Javier... Yeah you know, is is good for his five innings, but how deep is he going to pitch? Um, so I, I yeah. wondered that more with Javier than Urquidy for whatever reason. Yeah, pro- I mean, Urquidy has four pitches, right? Javier is more of like fastball slider. Like, yep. I think that's it. But um, And we did see, you know, I'm just going back through last season. Urquidy made his debut in that game against the Angels uh, on September the 5th. In the last four starts he made in the regular season, he went six innings, seven, six innings, seven innings. Again, it's a month of baseball, but I didn't feel like Javier was going that deep into games last year. Right. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. I think he's kind of a five and dive for the most part. I think we agree. Um, Yeah. And now they they really need Greinke to be the good version, right? Yes. (laughs) um, He looked like he ran out of gas last year. And I don't know what to make of anything he does in spring training. I don't know what to make of anything anyone does in spring training. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think they they have the best rotation in their division, I think. But I don't know. I haven't studied the depth of the other teams. And also, like, this whole, like, luxury tax thing is going to loom over them all year. If they truly are, like, going to refuse to go over it and add payroll, like, how are they going to improve their team throughout the season. So let's talk about that before we get back into, I want to talk about Granky for a little bit as well. Okay. Can you tell the audience, Jake, what are the numbers with luxury tax? How close are they to that threshold? And why is there such a fear of going over it? I believe there are some significant uh, penalties attached, not just monetary, but also maybe draft pick wise. Yeah. Um, so it depends on which site you like. <laughs> I like roster resource, which is attached to fan graphs. And they have the Astros estimated luxury tax payroll right now at two hundred and eight million, and the threshold is two hundred and ten million. Um, you know, I think I don't think the Odorizzi signing was part of the plan until Framber got hurt, uh, and they were hoping to kind of save that money or that space for the trade deadline, and now that's. You know, now that space is gone, they can obvi- it's not calculated like until the end of the season. So they could theoretically subtract uh, players throughout the year, which is 
kind of not ideal for a team that's trying to win. Um, and yeah, it's I think it's less about the monetary tax and more about the draft pick compensation. Um, I agree. So like, for example, when the Astros lost Garrett Cole after giving him a qualifying offer, they gained a, a second a, a pick after the second round, which was in the 70s. But because they went over the tax threshold in 2020, when they lost George Springer to free agency, they got a pick after the fourth round. So it's a difference mm-hmm. of two rounds. Um, they they obviously have Correa as a potential qualifying offer candidate. I think Verlander is a qualifying offer candidate, potentially. Yeah. And also it, it impacts um, if you sign a player who got a qualifying offer from another team. So say Correa walks and they sign... Um, Trevor Story. Trevor Story. I was going to say Trevor Story, but like if he gets traded, he's not eligible to get a qualifying offer. Yeah. Um, so like say they signed a pitcher, um, say Noah Syndergaard gets a qualifying offer um, and they sign him. Um, it, it evens out? Well, no. Then they have to give up more in draft capital ah. and international money than they would have if they hadn't exceeded the tax threshold. So it's, you know, I think you could easily argue that it's it's not worth um, hindering your chances to win now when you're t- this might be your best chance to win in a while. Um, but it's like a long-term outlook type thing. And, you know, the thing all along has been trying to build a sustainable winner. So it's, I, I think that's the thinking, but so you know, thinking changes throughout the year too, right? Like they weren't planning to go over the luxury tax before either. And then they did the Grinky trade, you know, like, Yep. You can you can get kind of excited and and excitable during a year when you're um you see the standings and and the chance you have in front of you you might be more willing to to do something. Well, I think the other thing is sometimes it's important to frame things the right way, the way that we're thinking about them. And so what you mentioned Jake is is true their plan obviously was not to was not to sign Jake Odorizzi that clearly based on the circumstances was based on what happened with Framber Valdez and the giant hole that created in the rotation. Let's say that had never happened. Could we see, could we have seen the Astros have like, would that have been the kind of move they would have made in July of this year, adding someone like Odorizzi. So now it just happened much earlier in the process. Now then you can say, okay, is Odorizzi really a big enough signing to uh, be the right kind of addition that remains to be seen, but you could look at this and say, instead of making a trade deadline deal in July, they made that move in March instead. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just don't think we have the attention span to think that way. Like no one, oh, was we say- definitely don't. No one was saying like, Oh, Yuli Gurriel was an off season signing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it really yeah. like the Astros were probably looking at it that way. Like, yes, it, it happened right before the playoffs and extension for one year. Um, and so when, when we're talking about their quiet off season for December and the first half of January, you know, we're not saying, oh, but they signed Gurriel. Like, you know, we just don't think that way. Yes. I just want to throw, that, throw it out there. No, I, I think it's 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 smart. I just, I when we come to July 31st, and if the Astros don't do anything, I don't think that's going to play too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, your move was actually Odorizzi. Uh, so which version of Granky do we get? I don't know what to expect. I tend to agree with something you wrote, Jake, which is he's more of a two or even three starter. Last year was up and down. He started shaky. Then it looked like he, he might be in contention for the Cy Young. Then he faded down the stretch. And then in the playoffs, it was a little bit touch and go, but he did enough for them. 
they won all three games in which he pitched, which is nice, obviously. But it's not, I guess it's not ideal for him to try to carry a rotation at this stage, nor do I think that's like a fair expectation. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, he's 37. Like, I mean, the stuff's cool. Like his velocity is clearly not what it used to be. Um, He continues to evolve. um, And I guess there's, maybe he has a trick up his sleeve for this year, but um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a big question that people aren't really talking about that much um, because because of how he finished last year. Uh, and, you know, we also maybe have to be careful of not projecting too much based off 2020 seasons. But um, even in, in 2019, Greinke was pretty inconsistent when he after the trade of the Astros. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm looking at the uh, Fangraphs projections on Granky. They project an ERA of 4.05. He'll throw 186 innings and start 31 games. That might. What do you I think? Mean, the 186 innings might be the most important part of that, right? Like that would. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you live with the four just to get to the the cover that workload. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, you'd like to see the ERA a little bit lower. That feels like that might be a little bit above, maybe around the league average. Uh, but yeah, those innings, as we were discussing, would be would be critical. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. I think he's going to be really interesting to follow this year. Um, you know, especially being his last year before free agency again. Like, I don't know, his market will be really interesting in the off season. Um, he can't get a qualifying offer because he got one from the Dodgers after 2015. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Greinke's all, there's always, it's always interesting to follow him and, and hear what he has to say after his starts. Yeah. And I think that there's, maybe there's a more realistic possibility that Lance McCullers, if he can stay healthy and put it all together is a higher caliber starting pitcher this year than Greinke, just based on the pretty massive age difference of 10 years. Yeah, I mean, stuff-wise... Um, he's got better stuff right now. Yeah, and and he's had stretches where he's been that guy. It just hasn't been consistent or, or, you know, over the course of his career, he's 10% better than the league average by yep. ERA. There's been stretches where he's been better than that and stretches where he's been worse than that. Um, you know, and obviously the the durability thing is still there. But yeah, I mean, he he looked like their best starter in spring training. Um, for what so he looked that good. Yeah, yeah. People were raving about how he looked. Um, but it's also spring training, and who knows <laughs> what that means. By the way, 
I'm looking at these fan graphs projections, and uh, some of these numbers are kind of scary. They've got Javier in ERA of 5'10", of and Urquidy at 4.81. I feel huh. like that, that would not be uh, a promising development for the rotation. No, not at all. That, that would uh, probably get Javier pushed to the bullpen, right? Yeah, I, I, would, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, again, this, is, this goes back to my, my thing on Fromber. Like, if they could have Fromber in there in between Lance and Javier or as the second starter, however they, however they would want to do it, uh, I would just feel much better about the overall state of the rotation because I feel like I'd be able to rely enough on Fromber to be able to at least pitch a good number of innings. Plus, I'm optimistic about Rikidi. So I feel like, yeah, you're in solid shape with the rotation. Now especially with Odorizzi being, you know, gone for those first two turns of the rotation, more question marks heading into the season. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I guess the counter argument would be find me a team that doesn't have similar questions, except for maybe the Dodgers who have like three starters in their bullpen. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's just like where, like, I think teams really don't know how they're going to do this, like all around, like, this is obviously unprecedented going from 60 games to 162 and we're already seeing injuries around the game. So, you know, it's going to be a fascinating season. It is going to be a fascinating season. I, I totally agree because you're coming off of, uh, you know, a, a two month season. And so this is going to be an issue essentially everywhere. Uh, the bullpen, I think a lot of this really depends. Well, it depends on a couple of things. What Ryan Presley do we get? Uh, which is a similar dynamic to Zach Ranky. Do we get the Ryan Presley who was dominant in the first couple of months of the 2019 season? Do we get the guy who has been injury prone in last year? People had to hold their breath when he was in there, uh, especially towards the end of the season. The Astros have promising younger relievers in Anoli Paredes and Blake Taylor and such. Um, but relievers historically in major league baseball from year to year can vacillate a lot when it comes to their production. Right. And yeah. so I, I, I could envision a world in which Anoli and Taylor got good experience. They continue to get better. You add back in Joe Smith. They got something from Brooks Raley, Ryan Presley stabilizes. And all of a sudden you have one of the better bullpens in baseball, but I could also see it going the other way. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I actually am pretty high on Ryan Presley. I think based on what people are saying and the the I mean the way he's talking about how he feels and I mean there was one or two of his outings on TV, not a lot, very small sample, but it just seems like the further he gets from this 2019 knee surgery, the better he's going to be and his mechanics were off last year and they're back now and Actually, I don't know if he'll be twenty first half twenty nineteen dominant because that was like literally giving up nothing. But maybe, maybe second half twenty eighteen when they first got him, like, and he was really good. I think, I think, I think he's going to be good. Um, I have more questions about the rest of the bullpen. I think okay, uh, Anoli Paredes, Blake Taylor, those guys had had uh, good rookie seasons, but now there's fans in the stands. How does that change yes. things? Um, Taylor also kind of petered out toward the end. He walked too many guys. Um, Joe Smith. I don't know what version of Joe Smith you're, they're going to get because he hasn't pitched in, in, since 2019. You know, his 2018, when he was kind of on and off the IL, wasn't very good. His 2019 was great. So kind of 
you know, like to what you said about relievers being their performance being, um, I guess volatile. Like you, you don't know, uh, for sure. Um, Brooks Raley, you know, not a huge track record. Ryan Stanek, not a huge track record. And then you're, it's uh, some kids. Like I actually think Andre Scrub was going to be like, you know, the way he looked in spring training was going to be like a high leverage guy from the get go. Interesting. Um, and Pedro I got the, Baez, obviously, they signed him to be a, a leverage guy. I got the sense in reading your coverage, Jake, that it didn't seem as though Brian Abreu was pitching all that well relative for a guy who's going to make this team. Was that the, the the correct feeling that I got? I don't think he was supposed to make the team. I think he okay. was supposed to be in in the alternate site, but the C shack the the injuries and the C shack thing pushed him onto the team. Like I think he's he's fine. I just his breaking ball doesn't seem to be all the way there yet, and his fastball control is still an issue. I, people were excited after he threw a few good innings in his second to last start against the Mets, but he was facing like the Mets backups. So like you know. I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on that. But Abreu, um, we've yeah. talked about him a lot relative for his role, but this is a guy who, remember, made the playoff roster in 2019 based on how well he was pitching when he came up from the minors. And then last season was just an abomination, essentially. And this year you're going in and it's kind of like, all right, uh, is he all the way back? Doesn't really sound like that's the case. Uh, and with all these innings you're going to need to fill, yeah, it's fine to have the idea that, he's going to fill only low leverage innings, but how likely is that, is that to stay? You know, it, it kind of feels like they're going to run through enough guys to where if you're in that bullpen, you're going to have to try to get some key outs even early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like there's a chance, especially early in the year that there's some lopsided games because of like how weird this all is and coming off of last year and, you know, the preparation, like, pitchers being ahead of hitters and who knows, but like, you know, and, and you could use either a Brayu or the loser of the Garcia Belak guy to just like wear it for a game. But a is also not like a sure thing to throw enough strikes to go five innings. Like if you needed them to just like mop up. I agree. Um, so I don't know. I think he'll be up and down throughout the year. I think, um, who else will be up and down throughout the year? Stanek. Stanek has an option and wasn't super impressive in spring training. I think he'll be an up and down guy. Um, you know, whoever the Belak Garcias, those guys will be up and down. So they're really they're really counting on Paredes, Taylor, Smith, Rayleigh, uh, Scrub, Baez yes. um, in front of Presley, and I. Don't I mean you can say that's about every reliever every year, but I just don't know exactly what any of those guys are going to be. They might be better, they might be worse, they might be the same. I it just I don't know. I think it's I think their bullpen's more of a question than I thought it was coming into spring training. Jake, how long is Andre Scrub going to be out? It doesn't sound like too long. Um, okay. I think it's a short term thing. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the uh, lineup. One threshold question I have going into the year. Um, or is Jordan ramped up enough to where he's going to be good being in the lineup every single day? Um, I think they'll give him some days off, but he's he's played full games now. He's played back to back days, so for the most part, yeah. I just think okay. I think they're going to have to be careful with with Alvarez and Brantley, and just like giving one of them a day off here, another day off there, just to keep them both for the long haul. 
I feel good about the lineup. I expect Altuve to be better than last season. I expect Bregman to be better than last season. I think we could have Correa having an excellent year. Uh, Alvarez, if he stays healthy, I expect to play well. I'm a little bit iffy about his health until I see it. Uh, one concern I have going in, Jake, is we. I could envision a world in which like the, the worst three hitters in the lineup like really hurt them. Um, what does Yuli have left? Is Miles Straw going to actually get on base? Martin Maldonado is a catcher. He's got a little pop and hit some line drives all over the place, but you know, he's a catcher. He's not a good hitter. Um, so there is a little bit of a feeling for me with this lineup that it should be very good. One of the best in baseball, but that there will be some holes, especially, you know, seven, eight, nine, depending on how it shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I, th- I think they're going to go as far as their lineup takes them. Right. Like kind of like yeah, last I think year. So. Um, I agree. Altuve is going to be better. I think Bregman and Alvarez both have potential to be top 10 hitters by OPS in the majors. Um, I think Correa is going to be better. I, I, I don't know if this is the year when he puts it all together and it's the MVP type season or he's just merely better than he was last year. Um, Brantley, pretty steady performer. Tucker, I could see some regression just because of how good he was last year, but I think he's going to be pretty solid. Guriel, I have no idea. Like, absolutely no idea. Um, yeah. He's, what, 36, 37, and he was really bad last season. Um, Especially but, in the ALCS. Yeah, his contract extension still kind of confuses me. Like, How so? Like, guaranteeing him that money before f- free agency started, everyone was anticipating it being a, a tough market for older players and, and kind of the middle class Yep. Like, I don't think he gets seven on the open market. I just was surprised they put them, they like committed um, to him there instead of just waiting it out and seeing where it ended up. Um, Cause like, I don't, I don't like, I mean, they are better at analyzing like the underlying data than, than I am. But what did you see last year that, gives you confidence he's going to be back to 2019 form this year nothing specific other than maybe it was some kind of uh some kind of fluke i suppose and that he wore down at the end of last season although that doesn't that doesn't really sound good now that i'm saying it <laughs> um yeah i i guess uh, that's the kind it, it, i'm looking at the i'm looking at the market for first baseman and it's always hard compared to like nfl contracts because these guys are like <laughs> you know all over the place when it comes to where their status is essentially second deal, first deal arbitration. Uh, he's the, he's the 13th highest paid first baseman in baseball, which seems a little bit high. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder like how they calculated that. And maybe um, like you always see guys being signed for like in the two to $3 million range or so uh, like, like the Mitch Moreland types. Right. And maybe they could, they could have gone in that. I'm not even saying him specifically, but just like in that general direction. Instead, they go one for six. Yeah, that's one that we can look at. Um, I the feel Taylor, like, like the Taylor Jones hive is is uh, <laughs> out here waiting for a mention. Yes, yes, good point. That that's your guy. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe the fact that they like Yuli. He's he's obviously been around for a while. He's still very very good defensively. Uh, maybe that factors in. But yeah, I could see on a strict accounting basis how you might say. Why do they give Yuli Gurriel a year and $6 million compared to the market? It's a very fair question. Yeah, I guess they're counting on the fact that he was out of shape last year. Obviously, a lot of players were 
negatively impacted by having the shutdown and he's in better shape now and and maybe he's back to normal. I just think it's a big, big question. Probably the biggest question in our lineup is the Guriel question. Yeah, because you you truly have no idea what you're going to get. I mean, with Kyle Tucker, there are some questions. It was last year for real, but he has enough of a prospect history and just a a player development, you know, sort of – angle to it to where you'd feel like, okay, he's not going to be awful based on his progression from last season. Um, and even like Miles Straw, like that's a question, but Miles Straw is not going to become, you know, George Springer, like that's not going to happen. And so you have a feeling of what Straw is going to be. Yuli, you could see this going a thousand different ways at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the straw, like straw obviously is a question, but like, I don't have as many questions as I think, others just like because he's hitting eighth right like he's not yeah. I don't know like they don't need a ton of offense from air from from their eight hole hitting center fielder who's an upgrade defensively over George Springer maybe not a huge one but he, he is a better defender than Springer um he's he, his speed allows him to make up for ba- for some you know bad jobs bad reads that he might make um it's elite speed he's gonna steal some bases um if he if he plays offensively like he did in 2019 when he was playing part-time he'll be fine that makes sense to me I like what's a what's a good on base percentage for miles straw this season like what would they take 340 yeah I'd sign for 340 absolutely what was he in 2019 I'm looking real quick he was 378 but that's probably high yeah I would his career is 327 in the majors I would say 340 yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. 2019 was 108 at bats. So obviously you'll increase that sample a lot more. Yeah, I think I think 340 you would take because that that's going to give that's going to that's going to give enough opposing pitchers uh some trouble on the base paths because once he gets on there it, it completely changes the di- the dynamic of the offense. Yeah. One thing that's interesting with him to me is the um the fan perception that he's not a good defender. I don't know. Is that the fan perception? It seems to be based Hmm. on like comments on my story. Whenever I write that he is an upgrade over Springer defensively, people say, no, you're wrong. I think he maybe had a few bad plays last year that that led to that perception. Um, So I'll be really curious to follow the defensive metrics for him now that we're going to have like a full, a, a meaningful sample size. Yeah. One point that you made in, in one of your previews is, the Astros are going to rely a lot on their starting outfielders uh, mm-hmm. to carry. Like, you're not going to see too many days off. I guess Brantley would obviously have the most based on age. Uh, you know, you've got a Ledmus Diaz who can fill in. I don't know how much Chas McCormick is going to play, but I agree with your instinct that it's going to be it's going to be a lot of Brantley and Tucker and Straw early on. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could see McCormick spell one of the corner guys against a lefty like Lozardo or Puck. Or there, there are a few a decent amount of lefties in the in the AL West now that I think about it. But, um, but yeah, I think you know, I mean, like Brantley and Tucker are so valuable, and McCormick's he can play center, but he's not really a center fielder. He's more of a corner guy. So like. It's kind of straw and, and straw there in, in center field. So, yes, it's going to be um, a lot of those three for sure. What about Abraham Toro? Any surprise with uh, him? No, I mean, I think he's good enough to be like, he's a better player than Robel Garcia. But like, I think their thinking is like, 
what good does it do his career to just have him play like very sparingly on the bench? Yeah. Um, whereas Garcia is already that guy, right? Like he he's he is what he is. Whereas is Toro Toro might be an everyday player for someone down the road. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I, they Dusty was hyping up Toro's spring. Uh, well, on Dusty Monday. loves Toro. Yeah. I mean, he he did look. You know, from all accounts, look better, but he was also pretty bad last year, so that's not exactly a high bar. So <laughs> I think he's a good, he's still a good prospect, um, even though we don't think of him as a prospect. Doesn't really have a place with the Astros, it would seem. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe him playing every day in AAA helps his trade value. Maybe someone gets hurt and they need him. Um, maybe he can play first if Guriel doesn't get it done. I don't know. I think, I think it's smart to, you know, not he's only twenty four, and, and not everyone's cut out for like the part time bench role deal. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get Direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream Direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, that logic made sense to me, that if there's a feeling that Toro could be more than he is, why not give him consistent bats to the minors? I- I'm cool with that up until they might need a better at bat to spell some of these guys. Let's talk about contracts, Jake, because that was a big theme of the last week. So Carlos Correa does not get a contract. He's sorry. Correa got a contract offer. It was lousy, $120 million over six years. He obviously doesn't sign it. And Correa, the most, uh, I think the most outspoken and honest member of the, uh, the Houston athlete stratosphere, said he thought the offer was really low. If that's how they feel about me, I guess I'll go out and play and try to win another championship for the city of Houston and then explore free agency. My take on it is, Jake, if I were the Astros, I would not have made this offer because there's no chance in the world that he would have accepted it. And I'm not like an expert negotiator. I'm working on becoming a better one, but I'm not going to offer somebody a deal that I feel like they're just not going to take. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I also think that there's probably part of it where they wanted to make a offer just so they could say to the fans that they made an <laughs> offer, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if a bad what's what's better a bad offer or an offer like you know what I mean like well well let, let's say let's say you and I were running the team I would say like here are the numbers so twenty million is highway robbery thirty million is probably what he wants average annual value so I would sit there and say okay let's put a number like if I believe in Correa long term which is if I didn't believe in him long term then I wouldn't even be having this conversation then it would be really awkward but my thought Jake would be all right, let's put a deal in front of him that's like average annual value 24, 25 million to where he's probably not going to take it, but it might make him think just because it's a large amount of money over X amount of years. That's what I would have done. Yeah. I think the years are a big part of this, right? Like he's going to be so young. Like it's really rare that a, a player gets to be a free agent at his age. So he's got to take advantage of that, right? Like yes. He, he can't squander that. And a six-year deal would be squandering that. George Springer just got a six-year deal, and he's five years older than him. Good point. So, points. like, a six-year deal for a 26, 27-year-old takes him into no man's land for the second contract, right? So yep. 
he's basically got to get two contracts in one almost um, to take advantage of the age factor. So, yeah, I mean, you, I think the, the low point offer would probably be eight years, right? Um, so what's your offer? Eight years times 24, 25? What does that yeah, come that, to? Yeah, that would be my offer. Yeah, somewhere around there. So Mike Meltzer offers eight years, 200 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, he, and he probably turns it down. And he probably should turn it down. But for somebody who's only played over 111 games one time, it's it's a defensible offer. Yeah, I think that's I think fair. it's defensible. I think that's fair. But like we're at the same place now. So it, it doesn't it's more of a perception thing, right? Like, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I, I just think that like <laughs> like six years, 120, like I like I don't even have it like <laughs> like none of us have near this kind of money. But I, I feel like if you just transplanted me in Korea's shoes, like I'm not taking that deal. Like I can't I, I can't take that deal. There's no way. No, he'd be shortchanging himself if he took that yeah. deal for sure. I mean, like, he's got he, like if he has a good year this year and he plays 150 games. Yes. He is like, I mean, he's looking at like a Manny Machado type deal, I think. Like, Absolutely. I don't see why not because there's such, I mean, there's such recency, recency bias in contracts, right? Like, um, I don't know. Like, I think the closest comp would be like Garrett Cole's walk here in that scenario. This this is such a hard negotiation because there is the perception of what Correa is, what he can be, and Correa has so much talent, and he also has gotten a lot better defensively to where I remember when Bregman came up, my thought was like, oh, he's probably a better shortstop than Correa. These guys should probably be like flip, flip-flop, but they're not going to do that because Correa's number one pick. He got here earlier, and now it's like, no. Correa's like, Correa, <laughs> Yeah, now, yeah, Correa is, is, is basically an elite defensive shortstop. He's gotten better. Uh, last year, offensively in the regular season was disappointing. He has not stayed healthy. And yet, on the other hand, uh, he has been a clutch postseason performer, whatever you take from that or not. Uh, he has become, in the last year, sort of the, the leader, kind of the heart and soul guy of the team. And yet, I have to almost be like an actuary on this with this contract because I look at the games played and I'm like, if I'm going to give you 250 to $320 million, which is what it's going to take, like – you got to play more games. I mean, you just right. you have to play more games. And, and I think a lot of a lot of what I see and people will be upset at me who are listening to this. But a lot of what I see on Astros Twitter, like I don't I almost feel like no fans are acknowledging this. Like this is a really hard negotiation. Jose Altuve, who signed that deal, he plays full seasons. Alex Bregman, I know he's had some hamstring stuff, but like Bregman's been a pretty consistent yeah. uh, player who plays a lot of games. This Korea negotiation is not an easy one. Right, and plus you you throw in the the fact that one injury was came up twice, right? The back, the back. injury was in two different seasons. Yep. Um, yeah, I think if it would be a little easier had he performed in the last regular season too. Like I think that even adds makes it even harder. Like he was yes. below average in the twenty twenty regular season. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, if he has a really good year, he's going to get paid a ton of money, get a ton of years, um, you know, especially if the Astros are in the playoffs and make a playoff run. Like, it's kind of like like when a, when a player has a huge walk year, it really does matter um, a ton, especially if, like when the owners are involved because they get excited to see, <laughs> see, to see what Garrett Cole did in the 2019 playoffs, for example. Like that, you know, that gets you a lot of extra money at the end. Um, so like Correa is going to do really well for himself if he has a good year. If he doesn't, um, 
it's going to be really interesting to see where he lands. But uh, based on like the fact that he stayed healthy last year in the 60 game season and he looks good in spring training and he says he feels great or he says he feels sexy, as he, as he likes to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think he'll have a good year. It's just a matter of how good and then. What's the market? Does Lind- is Lindor on the market? Because if he's not, if Lindor signs with the Mets this week, then that that helps Correa. How surprised were you, Jake, that the Astros gave Lance McCullers eighty five million for five years? Very surprised. Um, I was not I was surprised, surprised that he, I was not surprised that they extended Lance McCullers. I was ex- yeah. I was surprised at the terms. I uh, I don't know. I was expecting like like when the reports came out that. They were talking. My prediction was like in my head was like three years, somewhere between 30 and 40. Wait, run that by me again. Three. So like when they first when the reports came out that they were yep. talking, my my in my head, I was thinking like three year a three year extension with like an AAV of like 10 to 12 million. Wow. OK, so you, OK, so this was a really different contract than the one I, you were I, expecting. Yeah, I might have been under underestimating the age factor. Similar to McCull- to Correa, McCullers is super young for an impending free agent. So that helps yeah. him. But um, given the team's history with pitchers and they don't sign pitchers to long term deals, um, I didn't expect that that McCullers uh, would be the guy to break that mold. Um yeah, it's and I think the age has such a big role in that. I always think about free agency and re-signing your own players. And I think about the way baseball is set up, which I think is pretty unfair for the players. George Springer gets six years, 150 million for the Blue Jays. But I think we can all realistically project that the Astros got the most out of Springer. Like, I'm sure he'll play well the next three years, but the best part of his career, just based on age, is going to come in Houston with Lance McCullers there's a really good argument to be made that especially starting this season, two years after Tommy John, that the best years of his career might be from age 27 to 32. So from that standpoint, mm-hmm. I understand the gamble that they made, but I can't in good conscience say, Hey guys, this Correa extension is like a really uh, tricky negotiation and not point out the same thing with McCullers. I do understand the bet that James click and Jim crane made on this in that He is a really talented pitcher. He has the most serious arm injury theoretically behind him at this point. And Lance is the kind of guy who has become not that he hasn't been a smart pitcher, but has become a wiser, smarter pitcher in that he's different than he was in 2015 and 2016. You can see some evolution there with the change up. Um, Basically, I'm rambling, but I'm basically saying I, I could see a scenario where like, okay, now the best part of Lance's career is here. And because pitching is so valuable, they're making this bet on him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is what they did. Um, it's a it's a great deal for McCullers. Um, great deal. Yes. Because, like, I don't know. So, like, I guess the timing is what threw me off a little bit um, with the length. Because if you if McCullers plays out this season, has, like, the best case scenario season, let's call it, like, a 3-2 ERA in 180 is he getting much more than this in free agency unless he had if he had a if if he had a great season maybe he could he could get over 100 million dollars but it didn't seem like they take they took much of a discount for getting this deal done early right right which is like 
like you, you made a great point with the Correa stuff. Like it is the same. It is a similar thing. Like McCullers hasn't pitched a full major league season. Yep. Um, he's had stretches of dominance. You know, he's a fan favorite like Correa. Yep. Um, which I think does matter in 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 these uh, talks. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It is interesting. Like it's almost like they paid McCullers, assuming he was going to have like the best case scenario season, but they offered Correa like he was going to have the worst case scenario season. Yeah, that's the weird part. Like, why would their evaluation of, of Correa and McCullers be so different? I, yeah. That's a that's a fundamental question. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like, so McCullers got five years, 85 million. They offered Correa one year more. And yeah, I, I can't do math, but what's that? 40 difference? I don't know. Yeah, basically. So Dusty Baker uh, said I was good at 35 the other day, but he was he was wrong. (laughs) I I saw somebody point out uh, during the offseason that if McCullers remember that one awful inning against Arizona where it seemed like they were hitting like (laughs) doubles or home runs off of like basically every pitch. So if not for that inning, his ERA would have gone from three point nine three. Technically, it's the whole start, but three point nine three to two point eight one in 2020 i don't know how much that does for you but if we remove that one bizarre start in arizona he would have had a 281 era last season you know if we removed all that doordash that i ordered during the pandemic i would have (laughs) uh, 10 fewer pounds on me right now and feel a lot better about myself (laughs) so it was only one start jake it was one also he had that he also had that weird uh anaheim start where he gave up some runs and didn't get an out and had yes the nerve neck issue so i guess you could play that game with a couple different starts of his yeah that is a that's a very fair point all right let's get to uh let's get to win totals and what we are expecting here so we're gonna do win totals and we're gonna predict the division from one through five so I think I, I I know less than Jake. Let's let's all be honest here. So I'm going to Isn't that a band name? Say that again. Isn't that a band name? Less than Jake. Less than Jake. It's possible. I think it is. Yeah. It sounds like a band I interrupted name. you. Go ahead. No, that's OK. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my projection on win total. I think the Astros are going to win 88 games. Um, I predicted this on a different podcast that I do as well. And so I then I looked this morning, like Fangraphs also as, as an 88. So I feel like I'm lame in doing that. But that's what that's what it feels like to me. I think this this lineup has a chance to be really excellent, uh, especially if they are able to get big performances from Altuve, Bregman, and especially Correa in a contract year if Alvarez stays healthy. But I have enough questions about the starting rotation in the bullpen to where I'm not going to carry it to like 93, 94. I don't think that there are going to be many teams in Major League Baseball winning uh, in the 90s this season. I think the Astros will be neck and neck to win the AL West, and I'll go with 88 based on some of the questions I have. I like it. I'm going to go 89, so right there with you. I think okay. uh, I think this division is going to be decided by which of the three contenders cleans up the most on the Rangers and the Mariners. Okay. Does that make sense? Like Those it teams does. are going to be bad. And especially the Rangers, they are going to be dreadful. And so <laughs> um, whichever team takes advantage of those matchups the best and at the highest rate will probably win the division, I think. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So how they do against those. Are the Mariners going to be that bad this season again? Shouldn't they be a little bit better? They were. I mean, they were good last year. I mean, relatively. They were. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think that was kind of fluky. I think they're going to be pretty bad. Yeah. 
Okay, fair. Okay, so let's do okay, let's do the division. So r- just real quick. So as far as what happened in the offseason. So the A's lost Liam Hendricks, Marcus Simeon, uh anybody else big that I'm missing from the A's? Um I think Tom, those were the those Tommy Lestella, Robbie Grossman, um one other hitter I think I'm forgetting. The lineup is the big losses. Like their lineup now is not very deep. Um they lost some other bullpen guys, but they also added some bullpen guys. So they they're did. pitching their pitching's still pretty good, I think, but the for me the offense is the question. Okay, so you think the offense is the question. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, they're gonna be playing Elvis Andrews, it sounds like pretty and Jed consistently. Lowry. Yeah, Jed Lowry. Yeah, that's a question. I mean, the Angels on the flip side have the opportunity to have a really good offense, but their pitching, as always, is a major question mark. Yeah, I just I think it's better, though. Like, it's not a joke. Like, it's decent. Like, Alex Cobb, Jose Quintana are are fine. Like, it's... Yeah. They have, like, Griffin Canning is go- a good young pitcher if he can stay healthy. Otani's back if he can stay healthy. <laughs> Yes. Um, Dylan Bundy was really good last year. Like they have bona fide major league starters now. It's not like you're just like it's not like guys you've never heard of. Yep. They added um, Iglesias in the bullpen. Yeah, I think their bullpen's better. I actually like what their GM, their new GM's done. Um, and they just added Steve Ciszek and Tony Watson um, and James Hoyt, former former. Astro. Yeah, that's right, James Hoyt. Um, this week, like they've made over their bullpen at the end of spring training. So um, the Steve Ciszek revenge tour. Yeah, starting next week. Yeah, starting next week. Um, All right, so let's do, let's do uh, division uh, projections. Uh, first place, um, I'll, I'll say the Astros squeak it uh, and and win the division for, and they they reclaim the the division championship from the A's. I agree. I agree. I have I have the Astros edging out the Angels, who I have in second. Okay, I'm going to go with the Angels, too. I was thinking about going with the A's, but I just I look at this lineup. I, I you've sold me a little bit on this Angels uh, starting rotation. At least at least they have viable options. I still think this Otani thing is just like like I'm getting kind of bored of it. Uh, <laughs> you want him to just be an outfielder? Or yeah, just, just just hit. Thank you. Just just yeah. hit every day. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, but they have enough viable options and guys that we have seen pitch decently that I'll say uh yeah, I'll say that the Angels, based on Oakland's losses, will finish in second place. I think it'll be pretty tight, one through three. So we're going to have the same order. Yeah, Astros, I think so. so we're going to have Angels, A's, Mariners, Rangers. Yeah, I think we will. We will. Yes. I, mean, I know that's like, boring. There's like no but, case for the Rangers being anything but, but fifth. Like, yeah. What, what, what are what are the uh, what's the big story? I saw that. Oh, I saw that Odor is not going to make the team. Yeah, Odor is out. Um, this reminds me that the most overrated thing ever was Odor punching Batista. I, it, it drove me nuts how big of a deal people in Dallas made of that stupid thing. It's like he basically sucker punched the guy who wasn't expecting it. It's like, oh, my God, he's Muhammad Ali. Like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> like that, that Odor wow. thing just drove me nuts. He's 20. He just turned 27. That's yeah. Crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. He's, he debuted at age 20. Oh. I'm looking at the lineup. I haven't even like heard of like three of these guys that they're gonna yeah. have in their starting lineup, and that, the, that's before they trade guys at the deadline. So yeah, 
yeah, rotation be- of Kyle Gibson, who had pitched well at times last year. It's not uh, gonna. It's not what you want for opening a new stadium. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it's not what you want for opening a new stadium. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're I think we're in agreement. I think um, we're probably picking close to chalk. I think some people would probably have the A's over the Angels at second, but um, we're playing the odds. We are playing the odds most certainly. All right. So we will uh, again. The podcast has not been as regular, uh, but we will have episodes during the course of the season again. Jake goes with 89 wins. I go with 88. We both have the same projected finish in the American League West, and we see how right or wrong we are over the course of these next six months. For Jake Kaplan, make sure you check out his work on The Athletic every single day. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.